0: Scope, a podcast with two guys in their twenties, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host to Burns. I'm my partner Parse on Morris. How's it going?
1: It's going pretty good, man. Let's let's get into some topics.
0: Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, the, for the first half of this episode, we're gonna have a few NFL um, and uh, college football topics, and then a couple of album reviews. And in the second half, we're gonna have a review of the movie uh, Waves, um, came out in 2019. I just started off with, um, you know, Tampa Bay's lack of consistency, a uh, lack of consistent chemistry, and, and just how they can turn it around um, for the postseason. This past Sunday afternoon, they had a three-point loss against the city, and the Bucks just had a, a limited amount of answers for the Chiefs' offense. Um, their pass rush into Sunday's game with the fourth-highest pressure rate, twenty-five point six percent, and fourth-most sacks, on t- on thirty-two. But just you know, time and time again, their their young defensive backs were put in man coverage or without an, without an adequate. Um, deep safety help. And even though they had seven quarterback hits, two sacks as well, um, their pass rush just rarely affected Mahomes. This loss put them at seven and five now and trailing the Saints by two and a half games in the NFC South. Um, but kind of like, what are your thoughts on Tampa Bay's skill evident late um, season struggles and just how they can turn it around um, next month once the postseason rolls around?
1: I think it's, you have to, well, let's start here. They're on a two game losing streak. They win games that we never thought they'll win. And then they, lose games we think they should be in the, the uh, competition for and just in able to pull seat. it off. Yeah. So I pinpoint the secondary. Their front seven is one of the best front sevens in the National Football League, but their secondary is their weakest link. Mm-hmm. Now, we can stay there for <laughs> eons of time talking <laughs> about how the secondary is doesn't look as good probably four or five years ago. But let's trickle over to the, the offense. I think that's another area we need to look at. The running game looked phenomenal. Right. <laughs> Ronald yeah. Jones is looking good. Mike Evans is still nursing injuries, but he looks good. Tom Brady looks – sometimes he looks like he's 24. No, that's too young. Sometimes looks... <laughs> Way you too
0: young. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sometimes he looks like he's 34.
0: Young yep. yep, snapper. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But some throws, he looks like he's still 34. And in some throws, he look like he's, you know, you know Sandman, Father Tom. is like knocking on the door, like, oh, come on, guy, After this season, you got to come. You got to get, get out of the game. But I don't know. It's, it's a mixture of both. I think the secondary does get them in situations. They really can't run man coverage a lot. They don't have the deep safeties are not good for them to uh, run two uh, man over top or even cover one when the linebacker's in the middle field and the safeties over top. They can't do that. <laughs> Their front yeah. seven gets them out of de- uh, decent situations, but we, mm, no. But the offense, I think the offense is more consistent Do we do we give them credit to. But I think it's the defense gets them in situations where it's just like, do you expect Tom Brady, 55-year-old quarterback, to get you to continue <laughs> to get out of situations and go, in, in, go long drives and to put the, you know, and score? Yeah. No, nah, nah, that's too much. It's acting too much of Tom Brady right now.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there's a the thing with him and Bruce Arians where there's been just kind of this, this speculation that they're just not on the same page. Um, obviously, he was so used to just the camaraderie that he had with Bill Belichick, and this is the first time um, forever in his career he's been with a different team. And, you know, there's there was the, the reports of Bruce Arians saying that, you know, essentially it's Brady doing all the, uh, all the play calling. There's kind of like a tense nature of what's going on now. Like, do, is there any part of that, that you feel as though just may be kind of natural with there being a shortened offseason. I mean, I mean not like a normal offseason with the COVID protocols and everything like, are there any elements of that, that you see as surprising or just kind of maybe natural in terms of this being, you know, Brady's first new destination?
1: You know, Brady has been in the league for eons of years. He's been in the league for a long time. Yeah. So you trust a quarterback like that, especially a uh, season head coach and Bruce Aarons, who's, who's, you know, been in the game for a long time and seen Tom Brady come from Michigan, he's six, seven, you know, draft pick and then the round draft pick and then come to this household name and win multiple uh, Super Bowls. So you have to trust a guy like that. Even if he's 40, 39, it doesn't matter how old he is, you trust him. He's been around the league. He's seen all defensive packages, schemes that's thrown at him. You trust a guy like that. So sure. that's not, that's, that's something that I, I'm not surprised of. What I am surprised of is where is Antonio Brown? Exactly. Why is he not playing? That's a guy who could take the top. Of. I, don't, I don't know the situation, but that's, you went to go get him. You gave him this whole spiel about, hey, if you're not a team player, you get out of here. Well, mm-hmm. we haven't seen him at all. I think he dressed out one game, and we haven't seen him after that. So where it's is the Rams. Right. Where is Antonio Brown? utilize them. you, you picked them up for a reason. Like, that's a, that's that's a big surprise. But trusting Tom Brady, that's definitely not a surprise. He's been a long, around a long time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now listening to Pittsburgh's um, undefeated streak and just how how they compare to the defending champs um, uh, Chiefs in a five point win uh, Wednesday afternoon, they were able to put together just you know the type of performance that you know wasn't the smoothest or, mo- or most surgical as there were you know many errors against a short handed um, rival in the Ravens. Um, they had five drop passes, matching the most in the past fifteen seasons, and they also failed to score a touchdown on their first uh, three trips to the red zone. Um, but when it comes to this undefeated season for them so far, what are your thoughts on just how elite they really should be considered, even with a, a bevy of errors in this game? As you know, even Mike Tomlin and, and Big Ben weren't thrilled with the performance. They feel as though they just weren't even at the level that that, that they could be, um, and, and it seems as though like they still feel as there as though there's room for improvement, even as they're eleven and zero.
1: You know it's crazy. I saw this uh, a couple of posts on Facebook that said they gave a specific reason why <laughs> uh, Pittsburgh won. One I think was the Browns. Nick Chubb was out. Um, mm. You beat an injured uh, Tennessee. Oh well, they said Tennessee. The refs uh, bailed them out of Tennessee. It's a it's a laundry mm. list of things. It was a whole like specific reason why
0: why
1: they won. Eleven and zero, or I think mean, yeah, I think they're eleven and zero.
0: Eleven zero, yeah.
1: But no, they find a way to a win. win. Big Ben was out last year. Tony Brown Circus was last year. Um, and they you know, still almost
0: made the postseason.
1: Exactly. Even with the, the fight with, <laughs> with the Browns, with Miles Garrett, <laughs> and all that good stuff. But they find a way to win. James Conner was was sick, and you know he wasn't in full health. But they, these guys find a way to win. You have Benny Snell at the Rams with running back. Juju is still playing lights out. But the, the biggest addition, the guy is balling out. When I say he's balling out, he's balling out. Claypool. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Chase Claypool. He's not, he's not the one or number two guy. He's the third guy. But he's balling out. That's the difference. Their wide receiver core is they have... Like they're jailed together. Ju they're young, so they understand how to play with each other.
0: They have so much so chemistry.
1: So much chemistry. Juju is a guy who's gonna go out. They're sacrificing every single game. I mm-hmm. think that's the wide receiver core is the, the difference maker. We've seen Big Ben, you know, play play with teams that, that don't have as much talent. He's been around a long time. He's seen every defense thrown at him as well. But I think when it comes with this young core, wide receiver core, everybody thought that it was like mm, Antonio Brown's going. They don't right. got the and then the addition of Eric Ebron. That's another one. Yeah, they, they call him Mister 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 Red Zone, I think, or something like that, because he has the highest percentage of any wide receiver tight end. At the yeah, in the red zone. More touchdowns than anybody in the red zone since like I guess 2017, 16, whatever. Whatever they find, different stats. They'll find stats.
0: <laughs> These uncoverable stats. ESPN now, stats and info.
1: <laughs> now's a new stat about uh Marshawn Lynch, the first running back, the only running back who drinks or sips Henny before every football game. So <laughs> they'll find stats, man. It's it's super crazy. But um, no, I think the addition of Eric Ebron. The younger guys with Claypool, Juju, continue, continue to um, get better. And then the defense is playing really, really good. Yeah. Really, Especially really good.
0: Especially with the Ravens having that chance at the end of that first half to at least get a field goal or something. And, I mean, the clock management issues you know, were on them, but that defense is just not budge and They're going to find ways to, to, to make plays.
1: Right. Especially we have Hayward still. He's been so consistent in this league. He's been... With the, the high the high Pittsburgh Steelers, the, mm, okay, but you know what's crazy? It's never been like a, Pittsburgh is trash this year. Never. Never, never, never. been that. I think, I don't know the, what the stat is. There's another stat with Mike Tomlin. He's the most winningest blackhead coach mm-hmm. and something, something else along those lines, but it's never been like a, mm, Pittsburgh probably not going to make the playoffs. So Pittsburgh is really not good this year. So the right. amount of the consistency they have every single year and then uh, what is uh, Micah Fitzpatrick comes over what a year or two ago from from the trade offense the Dolphins, yeah. and that was uh, that was big time. You get TJ Watt, he's still growing, he's still good. You still have Hayward. Um, it's uh, Joe Hayden is kind of coming back. He was you know battling those injuries for I think it was like eighteen and nineteen. Now he's kind of getting back in the swing of things. But the defense is looking good. They find ways to win. The right. run game is working. Ben, big Ben is healthy, but well, I think he got dimmed up um a couple games ago, I think. Cause they mm-hmm. got them listed questionable. Yeah. But, um, it was questionable a couple games. They just they just find a way to win, man. No excuses.
0: You find and, a way and, to win. Yeah, absolutely. And when you compare them to like the Chiefs and, and then even like the Titans with what they're doing, like Derek Henry just having, you know, MVP caliber season um and and the threat that they are as well as, you know, they were able to to beat the Ravens in the postseason last year and, um, you know, even beat the Ravens um, again before the Steelers um, beat them this this past Wednesday. To you in terms of just, like, where the Steelers match up, obviously they're undefeated, but where they match up with even, you know, the likes of a Kansas City, like, in a hypothetical situation, um, how important do you think it is for the Chiefs to get the one seed or do you think it's one of those things where, you know, they're the defending champs and even against an undefeated Steelers team, um, they would kind of still have the edge?
1: Uh, we talked about this a couple times. I hate to 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 put those guys in the same same realm, even though they're both for the AFC. AFC, but when when I look at, and I told you this multiple times, the Chiefs are beatable. They are right. so beatable. You obviously, look at their record. They're still a good record. I mean, you still have one of the Only best, one loss. best quarterback. I mean, they it was multiple losses should have had Patriots. Um, yeah, they, for sure. they beat the Raiders twice. Uh, well, the second time that was that convincing. second time that was just
0: Mahomes going off on a two minute drill, I
1: right? Mean. For sure. And then they got went to overtime with the chart, not the chart, you well, the LA Chargers, a couple other close games they had, but they found a way to win. But when I see, when I look at their schedule and I look at uh Pittsburgh Steelers' schedule, I don't think they go undefeated. It's only two games at the end of the season with the Browns and the Colts that will probably give them try to give them trouble, but I think they, they I think they're gonna they're yeah. So when it, when it looks like, I think it doesn't matter if the Chiefs have the first seat or not. I think they will make it to the AFC Championship for sure.
2: Oh, yeah, But absolutely. I
1: think they don't make it to the Super Bowl. Really? I, I don't think they make it to the Super Bowl. Because wow. I feel like if there were- They are
0: having a lot of close games. And that, that is the one concern. People are saying that like they're not separating themselves as much. That these close games are kind of starting to add up.
1: See, that, that's the thing. Just because they're close doesn't mean like- I see it as there is a formula now to beat the Chiefs the year before. And the year before that, <laughs> uh, what, it was 18 and 19. There yeah. was no match for Tyreek Hill. He just went off like uh, last week. He just went off for sure. Two well, three touchdowns and like 200 some yards against. Um, yeah. I, I forgot what team they played, but it's just no formula. It's Tampa Bay secondary trash. Only good one is, is Antoine <laughs> Winfield. I think he's a rookie or a second-year guy. Guys, he's a he's a plugger, whatever, whatever. But there's a formula to beat Kansas City Chiefs. The uh, is it four or five teams did it. They are capable. It's all about the two men high. What are your safeties? Are your safeties good enough? I think Pittsburgh Steelers' safeties are good enough. Um, it's a bunch of other teams in AFC that are safeties and secondaries good enough to hold Tyreek Hill and make... Uh, Patrick Mahomes beat them consistently w- with going out of the pocket. You know what I mean? Because he gets right, tired. Yeah. He's human. He gets tired. If you extend a play every play,
0: that's They're gonna, gonna get to drained.
1: Eventually. <laughs> <You're> gonna get <laughs> we saw that with Cam Newton in the Super Bowl. Right. When they when they played uh the the Marcos. The first first couple series, they were running the ball, but you can see his hands going on the ship. He was gassed, and they changed their they changed their approach. They got mm-hmm. beat. So yeah, but I don't. I don't want to compare them, but I, I do think Pittsburgh won't be beat for the remaining of the season.
0: Yeah, and it's I
1: don't see it either. extremely difficult to find a way to beat them because they find a way to win. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have anything for you. Everything seems to work for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and after listening to, to most interesting um, week thirteen game, um, for, for me, I would have the Rams and Cardinals as you know, in Arizona's loss versus New England last week, their offense. Know, didn't look as potent, and, and even Cliff Kingsbury's um, conservative approach down the stretch was, was a downside. And then for the Rams, you know they were also you know s- sloppy offensively in an upset loss for the 49ers. Um, But there's just you know the fascinating contrast of the Rams' defense showing up every week, and then also if Kyler Murray um, can have a bounce uh, back week, it's going to be like one of the biggest questions for that matchup. Um, but to you, kind of like what is your most interesting matchup for Week 13?
1: I have two. Don't hate me. Um, New York Giants in <laughs> the Seahawks. Because of yeah. the NFCE situation. They have to win out. Um, but the real, the real, the real one. one, the <laughs> real one, I think it's Cleveland and Tennessee.
0: Oh, oh really yeah. running back
1: against running back. Um, okay quarterback gets okay quarterback. <laughs> yeah.
0: They just do, they do just enough. <laughs> right. They and got it, the do just enough label.
1: <laughs> they super surprised me this year. Cleveland did. I know Tennessee yeah. was going to be good because of... Freaking they have a cheap weapon in the backfield. They Derek here is the Browns are the Browns eight
0: and three or seven and
1: four. Uh I think they're they're eight and three. And three. They're, they're second in AFC North. Um they're two and two. You know, they're not really good, but they their record is Nick Chubb was out a couple games. OBJ goes out. Yeah. It's just different moving parts. Everybody thought they when they I think they lost their first couple games, it was like, well. Actually, you know, know what the speculation league.
0: is now, Slavon. You know what the speculation is now? Oh, they can win with that OBJ. They didn't need him in the first place.
1: <laughs> so uh, I'm like, don't do what, that. Don't do that. Different, <laughs> like, the running game. Nick Chubb is a beast. It took him yeah. a while. It didn't even take him a while. It, it took them giving him the number one opportunity. Because when he came over, it was Carlos Hyde. It <laughs> was, uh, sheesh, uh, the running back from the Miami. Uh, whoa, whoa, what is his name? There's a bunch of running backs before him. And he just needed the opportunity to just be the number one guy. And once he did that, he showed why he was one of the best running backs coming out of Georgia. RBU, mm-hmm. running back you. I will give Georgia that. They they always breed one of the best running backs, even though if they get hurt or whatever. <laughs> but, <Yeah. stuff>. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Nick Chubb is definitely that guy. But I, I, I want to see both these running backs go at it. For sure. Because it's never been like a, a headline in the past couple of years. Just like, oh, running back is running backs. So it's quarterbacks. Oh, quarterback versus the defense. But they got two running backs. It's going to be a show. Literally going to oh, yeah. be a show.
0: Definitely. So
1: that's be an interesting games.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm transitioning to college football with just, you know, how um, legitimate is Notre Dame added on to, to uh, with their new championship, uh, new uh, ACC championship birth that they found out Tuesday night. Um, they're currently 9-0. and and, um, you know, for last Friday's game against North Carolina, they held them to 298 yards of offense and also pitch a shutout in the second half. And the interesting element about Notre Dame is, you know, even though they have an um, inexper- experienced QB, they also have a power run game and a pair of tight ends who are, you know, presented as a matchup nightmares. And, and they kind of have like a more of an old school approach compared to what Alabama and, and Ohio State are doing now. Um, but to you, kind of like, what are your thoughts on just what Notre Dame has done this season and how they match up with some of the other playoff contenders.
1: Notre Dame, Notre Dame, I'm saying (laughs) your name wrong. Yo, they are playing great football. Yeah. It was always been a net because they were independent. When you're independent, you get to play the teams you want to play, and sometimes they don't play good teams. And then you go off that and you go to the quarterback situation, right? Right. Their quarterback, I'm going to give you his name here shortly because my computer is uh, loading. <laughs> Ian Book. Because I never oh, know his goodness. name off. Ian looks Ian like Buck. a NFL quarterback this year. I don't know what the guy did before the season yeah. started. I don't know if they're in ACC. That gave him a boost. But the guy looks like an NFL quarterback. That was the, Last year, they had Dexter Williams doing everything for them. Mm-hmm. Now Ian Brooks, and then they got a couple tight ends. The secondary is looking good. Front seven looks good. Everything is working out. The biggest challenge, I and I think people still kind of knock them because Trevor Lawrence did not play. But Clemson had a freshman quarterback that did absolutely a great job. Their future.
0: Yeah,
1: he it. Oh, their future is super bright with the kid. But that's their biggest, biggest competition. They're yes. going to win out. I don't see any other team. Beating them,
0: yeah, and now it's set up to be a Clemson Notre Dame rematch in the AC championship. And like you were saying, with with what when when Trevor Lawrence was out, it's one of those games where Notre Dame, like I, I feel as though it it, it definitely was a, a necessary type of win for them to show that they they can compete against you know that type of elite competition and really have a chance to be a, a legitimate um contender. But like, do you think in terms of just especially with Trevor Lawrence coming back, if they're um, and, and if they're able to meet again, do you think it's one of those things where Notre Dame will even have like an a, a cr- increased level of confidence because they know they already beat them um, even before earlier in the season?
1: No, I think you changed because now before you kind of didn't, you didn't prepare for Trevor Lawrence because you yeah, know exactly. he was going to be out. So I think them beating a freshman quarterback and being surprised by a freshman quarterback is the biggest um curveball they'll face face all year. Now they have to prepare for Trevor Lawrence. And with that, I think the biggest like knock against that game, Etienne, I think I'm pronouncing his name right? Yeah, Etienne. Yeah. He didn't have a good game at all. 18 for 28. He had a, a he got a touchdown with her, blah blah blah, but their Westcom def, both defense looks like crap obviously because it's the ACC <laughs> and their <laughs> defense are not really good. But that was a big surprise for me. I think when Trevor Lawrence is back for this game, I think it's a different preparation. Now you have a seasoned quarterback. It's going to be harder to prepare for him. Because now yeah. this guy has seen you or seen teams like you for three years now. Yeah, he he's he's only missed like, what, two games?
0: Yeah, only so. As a
1: starter, as a starter. I'm going to say as a starter. But he only missed two games as a starter in his, his, his three years at being at Clemson. He's seen every defense... Different teams he's been in championships, so preparing for this guy that can look off of, look look off a of safety without with, with ease, smooth like butter, it's hard to prepare for him. So instead of preparing for a freshman quarterback, you have to prepare for a seasoned quarterback. Three years, he probably will stay for Clemson because I would not want to go to the Jets. That's just a year there. May one more year. <laughs> right. But it's gonna be it's gonna be more difficult to beat them this time with Trevor Lawrence because he's a seasoned quarterback and he's yeah. he is a threat. And then I think with his presence at, in the back in the backfield, I think NTN will, will come up and he'll have a big game. I hope so. They're gonna need mm-hmm. it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um and now you're listening to, to Florida's continued development leading up um to that C championship. Um, You know, over the last two weeks, Dan Mullen has discussed repetitively, you know, how he's seen room for improvement. And the focus will will be on the defensive side when the Gators um, visit the rival Tennessee with a chance to clinch the SEC East and a spot in the SEC championship game. Um, But even after a shaky opening against Kentucky, their defense was uh, stellar and and held them to 221 yards, its lowest of the season, Um, 2 of 13 on third third downs and made three interceptions. Um, But what are your thoughts on if they're getting into the right form? At this point in the season, as they're
1: close to an SEC championship per it's 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 now or never, to yeah. be completely honest with the defense. <clears throat> Excuse me. Offense is something that we're not worried about. <laughs>
0: Especially with Kyle overall, Traff,
1: Right, yeah. 12 overall in the entire um uh, um NCAA, uh second in passing with average of 369, rushing is is right behind that. It's just the defense. The defense is one of those places where we are just like rubbing our heads. Secondary, uh front seven. Yeah. Uh, each Saturday is, is difficult to watch because we don't have the same intensity on defense that we had previous years. You know, yeah. Miller is a guy, he does for me, it's not it's just the entire the entire defensive side. It gets me like ramped up because. Now we have the quarter the quarterback situation solidified. We have the offense on all cylinders, and now we look to defense like what like why is it not balanced like every year we have a great defense, no quarterback mm-hmm. right and then we go like, you've got a stud right now we got now we have a stud, and now the defense is just like and a lot of people say it's the defensive coordinator. a lot of people say we're our, our secondary is not as good as previous years. It's a it's a mix of all of that. You see, if you, I don't know, you watch the game, but you see the highlights. Dan Mullen actually ripped into... Um, defensive coordinator. Yeah, defensive coordinator for at least five minutes. It, it's about time. So yeah. it's now or never for that defense to wake up because there's a lot at stake. You have to finish out with Tennessee. You know you're going to have either Alabama or Texas A&M. Probably going to be Alabama because Alabama's not going to lose the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have Alabama. <laughs> Their high bar offense. the defense is really good, so it's now a never for the defense. Figure it out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, now transitioning to a couple of our album reviews, starting off with um Gibeon's when it's all said and done, and just kind of like the overall thoughts on, on the rising star he's become. Um, it was released this past October, and these four tracks about um experiences in love and, and the battles that that can be generated really draw listeners um into his alluring sound as a new artist. Um, he's been on the rise, especially this year with being featured on uh, Drake's Darkling Demo Tapes and debuting his first project earlier this year. Um, but but just overall, this mini project encapsulates an array of emotions. And even though there's room for growth, uh, when it's all said and done, really dem- really demonstrated um, Gibeon's uh, talent lyrically and sonically. Um, but to you, kind of like what were your overall thoughts on this project as like he really has become a budding rising star in, um, of, of 2020?
1: What a voice. What yeah. a voice! First off, what a voice! What a pitch! What a tone, and to still have range at that pitch. Mm-hmm. Yo, that's 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 a guy <laughs> talent, bro. <laughs> and it it, rem- it it's like a mixture of Barry White, Lou Rawls, and <clears throat> probably like a singer who can really like Michael Jackson or something like somebody has that vocal range, right? But he he really does it like tap into that vocal range because he doesn't have to because you're mesmerized by. Just that subtle, it's just different. His, his his voice is very distinguished. And I mean, it's beautiful. And then his music, his writing ability, song selection, production, especially uh Still Your Best, one of the best songs of the year to me. Incredible written, great back, <laughs> great story, big back, great background. And how many people are thinking this? Oh my God. <laughs> it's relatable. So yeah. this music is not a long, just man, this is yeah, this EP was dope. And then crazy, I we we talked about this when uh Drake first Chicago first I remember that.
0: I was about to bring that up. Chicago Freestyle. We were both talking about it and we did and not know who God. this guy was. <laughs> we who didn't know you? who it was.
1: This dude can sing, and then you told me his name on mm-hmm. the podcast. Yeah. And then I listened to um uh what's his what's his first his, his album? What is it called? Um Take Take Time.
0: Yeah. Whoa. Goodness. Crazy project
1: that made me a fan especially um the world we created mm-hmm. i'm a i'm a helpless romantic man so when i when i, I, I hear these it, types of you. songs <laughs> uh, man still your best world we created favorite mistake take time interlude i'm a sucker for interlude you know that well it is but his this ep i wish it was more on it man i wish it was man, more that's
0: songs. the one thing in terms of just like there being like more on it and even, like, the, the room for improvement that he has, like, is there something in particular, in, in addition to just there being longer projects, is there, like, one thing in particular that you're looking for even more? As, I mean, this guy's only 25, but still, um, as as I was saying earlier, there's still some elements that I, I think he can probably tap into that he hasn't, like, reached yet.
1: I think, I think when it comes to, like, EPs, I think this is... A test run for the sound that he wanted. I'm pretty sure it was like a million songs he wanted to put on this EP. Yeah, for he sure. He probably wanted to make. He probably wanted to make it longer, but it's his <laughs> his label was like, "Nah, we're just gonna <laughs> do a snippet. We're gonna get. We're gonna build you up, and then you could drop another album." Mm-hmm. But for him growing, 25 years old. I love the way he talked about his voice. He said, My voice was never like this. And then I woke up. And it was just like it <laughs> was like, it was crazy <laughs> with the pitch and tone it went to. But for I think he should go into his range, show how much range he has. Mm-hmm. Really flaunt a little bit. Because he's more, I think his style is more subtle and more of not his singing, but his riding abilities. You can he tell he really doesn't want to give it, it
0: You can tell he doesn't want to give it all yet. He's still holding like some back.
1: Right. Cause I know he has range. You can tell when soon as he opens, it's like, I'm like, yo, I wish, just let me borrow that. <laughs> <laughs> like for like two days. That's all. Just that's all I want, man. Just two days. I don't even know where But no, I think he has more range that he's showing, but I think he's not a, a, a sh- like a flashy type of singer. You know, we have those Mariah Carey's, Chris Brown's, like, you know, the singers that really, he reminds me of subtly of like Brent Fiaz. Brent Fiaz is not oh, yeah. like a- because out, you know what I'm saying, flashy singer is showing his range. He's very subtle. And the music and the message behind it really just resonates. So I think it's the same thing with On. Like, I don't think he wants, he's not that type of singer, but I know he has that ability. Show it.
0: Yeah. Dude, my, my top Spotify song, Listen to the Year, was Chicago Freestyle. And really? I, know, I know it's because I'm a big Drake fan, but I also was thinking it may be because of On <laughs> Because he it really did it. In. It has to be. It sets the
1: tone. <laughs> it sets the tone. like, yo... Who voices this? Like, yeah, it's a, it's a woman named Um, they call her Baby Rose. Her name is Baby Rose. Her mm-hmm. voice is similar, but not as angelic as Giveon's voice. I don't know if you know her. Ever look heard her of up at the, at the podcast. She was like, Wow, her voice is super deep. Wow. But it it like gets you. It's like different. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh wow. I never heard this before. It's the same with Gibeon. Like, I've never heard his voice on it, it, with anybody else. It's like crazy.
0: Yeah,
1: like, I've been around 27 years, Willagen, and, like like <laughs> and I and I feel like that's not even old, bro. has been a long time. Heard, oh, hit <laughs> the 50 something, and we'll be able to talk. You know, yeah. but like 27 years is a long time on deserve. and I feel like I've never heard a singer like him.
0: Yeah, never. absolutely. Um, and now listening to our last album review, um, with uh, Spillage Villages, uh, Spillage and, um, this Ooh. latest, yeah, a crazy project, and, and this latest group project was released in September. And just so many um, vibrant theatrics were there with polished cuts and the collective of producers and vocalists that were present um, with tracks that have um, multiple um, production credits in a combination of Hollywood, JB, Christo, Alou, and Benji as in-house producers. Um, You know, their subterranean rhythms, uh, bright guitar chords, and in a mecca, the high percussion assumes the foreground. But kind of like, what are your thoughts on the overall polished record this was with just a creative and effective project um, Put together, as you even told me, about the reason I found out about this project was, was how how much you were championing it up, and it, and it really wasn't an effective one.
1: Yo, you know what's crazy? I didn't even know they had this group before they signed with Dreamville. Wow! So, Spillage Village is a combination of G- Jid and Earth Game, the two guys from Earth Game, and they did this. I think they met in like college or whatever they met at, and they started this. And then Dreamville signed Earth Game first. Then he signed J.I.D. with J.I.D. they still had their group. I was like, because I saw this on Facebook. I was like, who is Spillett Village? Why is J.I.D.? Is he featuring? And it was like, no, that's he's a part of that group. group. Like, what? <laughs> it is so different. And it's just like, they're all lyrical. Man, this whole project was just like, it was like a scene. It reminds me of... I don't know. Like it's just like earthy. It's grimy. Yeah, so it's grimy. like uplifting. It's just like it's different. Like a different angle. And I'm like, yo, why am I so into with this album? <laughs> why am I so in two? <laughs> and their features were crazy. Yes, Features was crazy. They had Black on here. I think they had um Lucky Day, which I'm a huge fan of. <clears throat> um, who else was on this? Jaren Bryant. Chance the rapper, um, I think her, I think her name is um, Mariba. Oh yeah, Mariba. my gosh, I love her. I love her music. I like, I found her music probably like 2016, 17, and uh, I'm not a huge fan. Benji, Benji, I think that's a producer, right?
0: Yeah, that was a producer.
1: Yeah, Benji. Uh, oh no, 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 no. Benji's off YouTube. He's a wow. producer. He started off YouTube.
0: Oh my goodness. <laughs> <Is> it, <laughs>
1: I can't remember. Did a song come on and say, I love you, Benji? Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. I used
1: to get beats from him on YouTube. Oh, that's goodness. crazy.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: That's oh, so crazy. Goodness. The He's cool with this guy. Um, I got Just Go With It beat from. Really? That's so crazy. They make beats all the time. Oh, that's so crazy. That's crazy. He's not gonna hit me back up, but I'm gonna go on Twitter like, "Yo, <laughs> but um, no, this album, yeah, Cupid, yeah, Lucky Day was on Cupid, and I love Cupid. Um, yes. but no, this this album was like wholesome. It's just like I don't know, man. Remind me of I don't know. It was just it's just so well put together. Like it was dope, man. Yeah,
0: and I would probably say like Mecca Baptizing and Cupid were probably like three of my favorites. Were there any in particular oh, yeah. that, that you that you went back and listened to a lot?
1: ties, Yeah. Uh, bro, Cupid. Mecca was dope. Mecca mm-hmm. definitely was dope. Uh, bro, I'm going to try to get one more. In A Daze.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: It was just like, you know, like I literally don't know all the words, but it's just something I just listen to.
0: Yeah.
1: Weird. Is it? Is it weird? I'm sorry to cut you off. Is it weird? Like you, some songs you don't want to know the words. You just, just love them.
0: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't even have to know all the lyrics, you don't even have, have to know, the, just hearing the pace of it and the pattern, it's just, it doesn't right.
1: I thought you. I was the other one. Look, Wellington, man, we be on the same page. We'd be on the same bro. page. <laughs> some, some I, I
0: never happened. want to bring it up. I never want to bring it up, and then you say it, and I'm like, yep, that's exactly what
1: I'm thinking. <laughs> I don't care what they say. I can't really say it, but I don't care enough to remember it, but I know this song is a, this is a, this is amazing song. Yeah. But yeah. Uh,
0: Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Waves Review. Welcome back to the show. And now we're getting into our Waves Review and we're joined by a special guest, Tyler Burns, my brother, um, president of The Witness, a Black Christian Collective, co-host of Pass the Mic podcast and now lead pastor for New Dimensions Christian Center. Thanks for being on, man.
2: Man, this is crazy. I'm actually on the podcast. This is the podcast. <laughs> the y'all podcast. realize this. this is the podcast. I don't think people understand. And if they haven't subscribed and rated and reviewed, what Uh-oh. are they doing with their lives? Come on, man. You need to turn up. Turn it up, man. Especially at the end of 2020. Come on. Y'all been recording through a pandemic. A pandemic. <laughs> Bruh. Man, I'm yeah, so man. proud of y'all and thankful to be on the podcast, man.
0: Yeah, man. Absolutely. Well, to start it off with the overview, um, Waves is a 2019 American drama film written, co-produced and directed by Trey Edwards Schultz. Along with Schultz, it was produced by Kevin Turin and Jessica Rowe, starring uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr., Lucas Hedges, Taylor Russell, um, Alex uh, Demi, Renee um, Ellis Goldsberry, and Sterling K. Brown. And set against the vibrant landscape of South Florida, it traces the emotional journey of a suburban family as they navigate love, forgiveness, and coming together in the aftermath of a loss. Um, It brought in 2.5 million in the box office and had um, an 84% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Sterling K. Brown was nominated as Best Supporting Actor, and Taylor Russell won the Gotham Independent Film Award for Breakthrough Actor. Um, But to you, Tyler, kind of like what were your initial thoughts of this film as a deeper and more profound film than kind of your average character drama?
2: You know, it's interesting that you bring that up, man, because I think even the description and the way in which the film was presented to me does not do the film justice as far as the emotions that you feel. Right. It is it is blunt, it is tense, it is unrelenting. And the way that I described it to someone when they asked me about the film after I first saw it, I said, it's really emotional epinephrine. It's really adrenaline, man. Mm-hmm. And the levels to which you feel kind of The stretching of the rubber band and then the release, then the stretching of the rubber band and the release. Um, It's a lot all at once. But I think what this film does well is highlight twin uh, pictures of fatherhood. So you see Tyler and Ronald on the first half of the film. And then in the second half of the film, uh, I believe it's Luke and his uh, father as well. And the twin kind of seesaw push pull of a father losing a grip on a son and then a son losing a, a grip on a father I think that right. that contrast was extremely effective that's what I think the film does very well and and that immediately leaped out at me even if I wasn't ready for the twist in the middle and the kind of shift abruptly into what the film becomes
0: yeah man absolutely and, and um to you savon kind of like what were your initial thoughts of this like even before we, we started um, this segment, you, you felt as though it was just like a really heavy film that just kind of hits you all at once. But your skill processing, just kind of the different aftermaths of you know the first half and the second half put together.
2: How do I follow this? No, I don't, I don't want to follow, Tyler.
0: You can't follow
2: that. <laughs> nah, man, go, on, bro, because nah. I'm really interested. Because I know you, you really have some thoughts on this film, so I'm very interested in what you're gonna say.
1: I think we we always see different perspectives of black families in different communities. So we see finally see the suburban side of the Black family mm-hmm. community, right? So right. we always think they're good. They're in the high class, middle class. Everything's hunky-gory. But they go through a different realm of things. So we go <laughs> from in the low-income, missing father. Father in middle class is here, but he's still kind of missing. And I feel like when it comes to the daughter, he... he Parents hurt differently than he does. That he does, uh, Tyler. So it's just like mm, different, mm. different things you see in the middle class black family that I, we never get to see on screen. So we finally get to do it, and whoa! <laughs> Literally,
2: I'm whoa. really glad you brought this up, bro. That is a really, really sharp insight into exactly the ways in which it was portraying this, and and not just middle class, not just well to do, but really living in opulence. I mean, if you right. take a look at you take a look at some of the ways in which they utilize the 360 shots in the waves like this right. panorama look. You get the first 360 shot is in this very, you know, fully loaded, you know, pickup truck <laughs> right. um, know. that you can tell clearly costs a lot of money but it's driven by, you know, a senior in high school and then you got some panorama shots of him going up the staircase, the winding staircase. So you get a look at the full house and everything that it entails and you're seeing this very this very high class, you know, middle class, well to do picture as Saban was saying, a black mm-hmm. uh family and not just doing well, but really at the at the top, at the peak. Yeah. So that is really that's sharp. I'm glad you brought that up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And interesting to our first topic from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um to me, I would give it four as you know, Obviously, all the performances are excellent in how the elements between reality and melodrama are measured, um, but just the same patterns being followed visually, um, delivering a film overall that's just um, has a deep feeling, but makes you think quickly as there's just so much thrown at you um, is it, really kind of a, an effective type of feeling. Um, but to you, Tyler, kind of like from one to four stars, what would you give it from your perspective?
2: Wait, so what did you say, Wellington? What would you give it?
0: I'll give it four. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I want to hear what
2: Savon, what would you give this film? I'll give it a three, three stars.
1: For okay. for the simple reason, okay. I think when when you look at what they try to portray with <clears throat> the shots they do, like the shots off their hands, just like after the after a car, I think he the director tried to do too much of painting the picture. I do agree, picture should tell a story, video should orchestrate that story, but I think in this realm of um what type of story they were telling? I think the actors, the the characters, should tell more of the story than the scenery. Hmm. So I give that's it three stars. Point. I give it three stars because I think they some at some points of shooting they did too much to let the the I guess the nature of what was or going the scenery on. The yeah, paint a picture more than the characters does. So I, that's why I give it three stars.
2: Yeah. So it's interesting because, like, I think. Part of the reason why I approached the film and acknowledged the beautiful cinematography and just kind of kept it moving was because it's a twenty-four, so you expect these films to be beautiful, like you expect, like them to have a specific style of shooting in that production house. But I struggle with how to answer a question of what do I rate this film
0: because mm-hmm. I still
2: don't know how I feel about this film.
0: Ah, that's okay. um, that's that's very different.
2: It's been a it's been a while since I've watched it and then obviously rewatched it for this podcast in preparation. And so now, you know, we kind of get into you guys always ask, you know, what is a what will you think about it in five, 10 years? Like, you know, rewatch value or something like that. And, you know, I I don't know how I feel about it now. I think Mm. if I'm if you have to pin me down one to four stars, I'd probably say three. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, or in between three and three point two, and the wow. reason I would say Sam doesn't like that
0: three point five. That... <laughs>
2: Listen, but see, there's too many. There's too many layers. Like I feel like there's just too many layers. You know, if you put a three a three star movie that's overachieving with a three star movie that's underachieving, I feel like they're doing different things and accomplishing different things, but. You know, I understand I'm cheating a little bit, Savon. So bear with me. Bear with me. Um man, I don't know. I don't know if this film knows what it wants to be. And I don't know if this film decides Identity. what message it's trying to tell. I have no idea what the message is. Like I get,
1: That's
2: the, uh, I, I get the emotion of it and yeah. the the chaos of it. Right. And it's it's a roller coaster, but what is the point? And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just trying to wrestle with like what is the point of the film, and what ultimately is this film trying to say? Mm-hmm. And I believe it's saying one thing in the first half, and there's something totally different yeah. in the second half, that somehow ties together, but, but I got to work to tie it together. And I feel mm-hmm. like, personally, that is um, <laughs> I think that the juxtaposition of fatherhood is secondary, and I'm like, the juxtaposition of, of Black fatherhood you know, with a black son and and white fatherhood with the white son kind of seems like it's symmetrical, but it's not the point. Clearly the director is not making that the central focus point of the movie because it shifts dramatically in the second half. So I'm just like, I don't know. like I feel like um, I feel like there are things that when it's great, you know, that old you know Scott Van Pelt uh, idea, how good is your good, right right? When it's good, it's really good. And when it's not, it's like, mm, what's going on here? I'm so confused that we just went through an hour of this type of film, and then we abruptly put another film together.
0: This should have been a part two, you know, not the same yeah. film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now transitioning to um, favorite character, um, to me, it was Emily as she's presented just as you know the, the shy teenager who's kind of grappling with loss and forgiveness, but you know, as she finds her own love in the second half of the film, there's still a profound message of, you know, balancing how you can deal with healing and forgiveness, as she's still at the point of, you know, as she had that conversation with her father of kind of punishing herself for seeing her brother that night, but not approaching him at the party. And the second half of the film, you even feel like more of a sense of heaviness from the aftermath of what their skill, what that family is still kind of having to carry. Um, but To you, Tyler, kind of like who was your favorite character from this particular film?
2: Well, Emily's not my favorite character, but I think it's worth acknowledging that Taylor Russell is a phenomenal talent. She's yeah. incredible. Um, she's also in this uh, Netflix series called Lost in Space that's incredible. Um, and she does a great job there as well. Mm-hmm. I'm partial to Tyler because my name is Tyler. So <laughs> I'm partial <laughs> to Kelvin Harrison because I think he he went to depths in that portrayal that were so emotionally raw. and really vulnerable for an actor to go to. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I also think that Catherine, his stepmom, was outstanding as well as kind of the emotional core of the family and kind of rooting and grounding the center of the film. But man, my favorite character is man, Sterling K. Brown killed it, y'all. He just
1: yeah, that's he floated,
2: man. He transcended time and space. <laughs> that, that, listen, man. That dude, I'm telling. That dude has levels. It's levels to this, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as great as Taylor was, and Kelvin was, and Lucas was, um, and Renee, when Sterling K. Brown is on the screen, mm-hmm. you pay attention to Sterling K. Brown.
1: We definitely do.
2: It's yeah. just it, it. That man floated. So I got to give him his props, and I understand why he was nominated because I think he was he was phenomenal, man. And so he was definitely my favorite character because I think the central theme of this film is the dangers of limitless living mm-hmm. and I think Tyler lived without limits yeah. and that got him in trouble and one of this one of my favorite scenes which I absolutely love how Sterling K Brown played this when Tyler is drunk comes home the fateful night of the party you know he's pointing and, and cussing his mom you know stepmom out calling her out her name all these other things. And you can see that Sterling K. Brown has this fear in his eyes, not because he's afraid of his son, but because he sees himself in his son. Mm-hmm. And so there's this deep fear that he has. And then there's a moment where he approaches his son, his son pushes him down, and then he he hurts his knee, right? Mm-hmm. And in the same way that Tyler had been hiding the extent to which he was hurt in his shoulder, you know, Sterling K. Brown's character had Ronald had been hiding. How hurt he was in his knee. And I was like, oh, they're a mirror. Like mm-hmm. it was looking at a mirror. It was looking yeah. in one another. And I felt like he met whenever the emotional, you know, younger actor or, you know, co-star went to a level, he could meet whatever level they went to. Um, and I feel like there's so many layers in his character. So yeah, long answer to a short question, but I <laughs> I definitely think it's Sergeant K. Brown's character, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, to, to you, Savon, you were just mentioning. You were just kind of agreeing um, with the, the favorite character assessment as well. Um, what in particular about his his performance also do you kind of feel as though just really resonated with you as kind of your particular favorite character?
1: Well, I'm gonna shift it to Tyler because Tyler okay. Burns gave a very good uh-huh. perspective <laughs> on the mirror situation and. I think it was a lot of pressure on Tyler to be this image. I think we do not, we don't indulge in what high school really is for students. We always say you haven't experienced anything yet until you get. But these kids experience everything right now. Everything is to them. So the pressure. That's why we see Kanye West do what he whatever, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's That's the good, pressure. That's true. The pressure, the imagery you have to have, you have to be in this good light. Your dad is the same way. So I feel like the pressure got to him. And instead of doing healthy ways to kind of cope, he, you know, you do opioids and you do you drink and you do all this stuff to try to cope, and then you you have a demise. Warner comes before destruction, and we we've seen it. It's the end the mirror thing was definitely dope. I didn't picture that or think about that when I was watching the movie, but yo, that yeah, Tyler, that was yeah, that was dope. He's hurt, yeah. Like it's definitely a mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: No, yeah. I man, Savon, I'm so glad you brought this up because it's one of my favorite. And I know I'm kind of skipping ahead, but it's really my favorite part of the storyline. Is a real raw portrayal of what teenagers go through. Yeah. And y'all know, I mean, I've spend my life, you know, when it comes to this idea of of encouraging inspiring teenagers best as I possibly can. Right. Because I, I know for years I was told that same exact thing. Like, man, you know, you don't know what life is like. Like, man, you just you're just in high school, you're a junior, you're a sophomore, whatever it may be. Um, and you sit back and you're like, Well, I, I'm feeling so much pressure. And why do I feel so much pressure to perform? And right. why do I feel like I can't measure up to whatever my parents have done or whatever people mm-hmm. expect me to do. And so there's a level to which, man, Like I think this real raw, honest portrayal of what it means to be a high school student, to be a teenager right. and to have to make real life decisions. Like, yeah. okay, yeah. I have to make a decision about a life. Like I have to make a decision about you know, how I'm going to move in this space. I have to make a decision about my future and my career. I have to make a decision about all these things. I, I'm really thankful you brought that up because I think it's something for especially adults to hear and see. Like, y'all go through pressure, like college students, teenagers go through pressure that yeah. many of us do do not properly uh, acknowledge.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and transitioning to most memorable scenes, um, I had the We're Not a Family Anymore where, you know, Ronald and Catherine are just yeah. having kind of an intense conversation about mm-hmm. um, just where the family's at and just kind of, um, the lack of direction that is kind of insinuated. Um, also, um, <clears throat> Tyler finding out about the severity of, of his shoulder injury and keeping that information from his family. Um, you know, the, the, the night of the party is, is definitely kind of like one of the climaxes, as well as just everything um, goes awry. Um, and even later in the film, with Ronald and um, Emily's conversation about just kind of like how she's doing and how she's grappling with everything, and how you know he's very worried about her with, with, with just kind of what she's processing. Um, see you, Tyler, kind of like what was your most memorable scene of, of this particular film? Well, I just want to say
2: again, that Ronald and Catherine scene, look, Sterling yeah. K. Brown, yeah. transcendent, he floated, bro. Yeah, he floated, man. Like it was final form, bro. That was <laughs> unbelievable. Um, you know, I really agree with you on the the Ronald and Catherine scene. There were a couple of very poignant scenes the night that Tyler is trying to um basically numb himself from the situation at the abortion clinic. That was a scene that was very difficult to watch. But the the moment that I really appreciated was Emily holding her brother while he wept oh, yeah. um yeah. that that sort of sibling love and the tenderness for a young black man to feel safe enough to weep in the in the presence of someone else and especially in the presence of a sister who he clearly it's not that they don't have a terrible relationship or that they have a terrible relationship, but they, they don't have the best relationship, but mm-hmm. the way in which they were able to connect in that moment. And he was able to tender tenderly, vulnerably cry and weep. Uh, I feel like personally uh, was the standout for me. And, and yeah, we'll talk about some other stuff later, but yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and to you say, kind of like, what was your particular, what was the particular scene that, that, that just kind of had like a, um, a big impact
1: on how you view this particular film. Uh t- the scene when they uh they're talking about this in a family anymore, especially when even when the stepmother is kind of on Tyler's side, she sees the pressure, and but she's grieving in her own way. And then she's, I don't know, it just seems I'm just mm-hmm. a depiction of oh. And then the 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 scene where uh Tyler says, No one can uh take me down, or something like that. And I think his friend's like, uh, yes they can <laughs> like it was just like you see him high you know at the top of his game and you see how he handles it when he faced adversity and it just plump goes down and then the scene where he's fighting with his uh girlfriend and and then she hits her head and she you know that whole situation was a good scene it really showed the 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 young the young side of him who he was because you're not a man yet you go through a lot but you're not at the age of being a man. And how to deal with situations now in a situation you're facing 30 years life in prison, and now you see the child, the child that wanna be a man, but a man want to be a man before his time. So it was just like a little bit of here and there, but like Tyler said, I still don't know the message. Mm. (laughs) I still don't know the message. It's so many moving parts I'm like okay, it was I, maybe that's the message. No, nah, he did something over here. Okay, that's the message. So yeah, I get what Tyler mm-hmm. says. It's good for him, honestly. He don't have a message.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I mean, I recently saw this film in November and when he's headed to that party, I mean, obviously I, I didn't know how it was going to play out. So you, Tyler, when he was headed to that party and just like the recklessness, you know, in, in, of the behavior that he was having, what did you kind of think in terms of just what the interaction was going to be like? Did you think it was going to get to that severe of a point where he was, you know, actually going to, Commit a murder? Did you did you kind of have some type of different um, feeling of, of how that was going to play out?
2: No, I thought that there would be something physical that would happen, but I felt yeah. like it would be um, in the presence of other people. I felt like it would be, you know, something that was embarrassing or caught on camera, mm-hmm. and that there would yeah. be at least an opportunity and pathway for Tyler to be redeemed. And right. that wasn't really the case, and so that leads to a shocking point. But it, it also you know, leads me to the real reason why I can't give this film a higher rating because I hated the twist, y'all. I hated it, hated it. I hated the fact that I, you, you, y'all really want to know what I think. Listen, please, please listen. I can tell a white person wrote this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, look, look, and hear my heart, hear my heart. What I mean is, I can tell that he gave. He he handled this story of a uh, uh, upper class upper middle class black family is beautifully shot and portrayed and all that, but he did he relied on tropes mm-hmm. that I thought were very concerning. So the trope of the aggressive angry young black man, yes, we know he's under the influence of drugs. Yes, we know he's under the influence of a lot of different things. But the juxtaposition of Tyler flying off the handle even at the abortion clinic or, you know, flying off the handle with, you know, his girlfriend, you know, giving himself to addictive behavior so easily. And then the juxtaposition of Tyler to Luke, who was right. so tender and and happy-go-lucky. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. like, what? how does this work? Like, how does... This- Oh, he's yeah. so tender and you know, you know, innocent and unassuming. And he's not without flaw, but you you can tell it's a totally different portrayal. Right. And it's almost like, oh yeah, well, well, now I'm complete in Luke. And I'm like, what? Like, okay, well, cool, but why does Tyler have no avenue for redemption? You know, like mm-hmm. what is the I just I struck I could tell. I'm like, you yeah. are, you are not thinking about the trope of the overbearing black dad. And docile Black woman and the attractive but relatively silent Black sister and the super aggressive Black male, young Black athlete. And I'm like, bruh. (laughs) And so (laughs) as far as I understand, the director was white and I could tell in the way that shots were portrayed. And then the climax of an aggressive moment where a, a young Black man commits a murder of his partner. I'm like, man, nah, get this out of here, bro. Yeah. Like, yeah. so yes, there was, there was, there was an acknowledgement of the phenomenal portrayals and the phenomenal act acting uh, performances, and the fact that that twist is an unexpected twist. But man, I was looking like, I don't think I, I don't think I can vibe with this one. Right, I can't stand that it went to that level and didn't give him give him an avenue back.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and now transitioning to most memorable quotes, I had. Um, it's been hard, hasn't it? Everything I do is for you. I'm trying to give you the tools to succeed in this world. Um, we are not afforded the luxury of being average. Um, you pushed him. I'm the one that's trying to hold this family together. Um, I know you're under a lot of pressure right now, but I'm getting really scared. And finally, um, we're in this together. Uh, to you, Tyler. Kind of like, what was um, your most memorable quote for this one?
2: Hmm. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I think. Um, I think his speech to. Uh, Sterling K. Brown's speech to both of his children in separate parts of the film, I think were, you know, there are a lot of quotes from that. I think, you know, him him speaking to Tyler about not having the luxury of being average was was yeah. clear and moving. Um, yeah. And I think as young black men, I think we can all identify with that one. I think yeah. that was one that we were like, okay, triggered a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And then his his speech at the end, you know, talking about grace and love um, with his daughter was beautiful. And there, there were moving parts in that. I think Emily has some really sneaky, great lines. I just can't remember specific ones, but I think she has some really sneaky, great lines about discovering and finding herself and, and things like that, which I think were, um, pretty memorable when she spoke it, it meant something because she's just an extremely talented actress. So, you know, yeah. that's what I would say. Absolutely.
0: Um, to so you kind of like, what was your most memorable quote from this one?
1: Um when they were no, we're not a family scene. He was saying we still have a daughter, we still have a daughter. <laughs> what are you doing for her? Like, mm. you're not doing anything for her. Like that was like, Oh, okay, yeah. She 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 with it today. And then the other one was uh, I think he was talking to Emily. He said, um, you have so much love to share with the world and so much life yet to live. I think he was talking to Emily. Yeah. When they mm-hmm. when they were yeah. sitting down, yeah. I thought that was really dope. And Maybe it, a, a part of me thought maybe he wanted to say that to Tyler and then mm. give himself the opportunity to do that. So instead of sending him, Brilliant. he said it to Emily. So he could feel wow. some type of, you know, I don't know. That's really like, it, bro. yeah, Man. something just came to my head. I was like, maybe yeah. this is something, know. You, you know, you fathers are different when it comes to their daughters and they <laughs> talk differently. So they I give them the opportunities to be soft. With their with their son, they don't want you know. It's just like so much this masculine imagery we have to have twenty four yeah. seven. So you're not no, able to yeah dive into those emotions that fathers need to do with their kids. Um, and I think that was one of the lines I think he wanted to say to Tyler instead of Emily. So that That's was so
2: good, bro. Yeah, I love that.
0: Yeah. Um, now transitioning to what did you like the most about the storyline? Um, to me, just how this was a powerful and plausible tale added on with, with deep Im- imagery and sound um, kind of like really making you think through the emotional third line that's being presented was something that, that I really kind of like about this particular one um, to you, Tyler. Like, were there, were there any elements in particular about this storyline that, that you kind of liked? Um, I, I know you said like the message isn't like extremely clear, but were there kind of some elements that you kind of felt as though were portrayed effectively?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, as a, as a father now, um, the fatherhood, anything related to fatherhood I'm hypersensitive to and it is different. So anything that relates to a portrayal of fatherhood and the ways in which fatherhood is kind of teased out and fleshed out and all of its complications and complexities and nuances, I think one of the things that I, I noticed that was so interesting was, you know at the at the table after the church service, which is so funny, man. Hollywood got to get past like every church is not like perfectly diverse. But anyway, um, so <laughs> every time it's Drop the church scene, it's like quick. the exact number, of, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a quota of like people of color. I'm like, dang, like, yo, this is like the most diverse church ever. Um, and so And so, you know, after that church scene and they're talking and then they immediately go into arm wrestling because they're arguing back and forth. And so there's that expression of physicality. But I think that expression of physicality and the way in which he connected with his son was so harsh as Savon was mentioning and it wasn't uplifting. It didn't it didn't it was it was physicality but not sensitivity. And after one of their matches, they're wrestling back and forth, you know, working on little things. Even though Tyler won, he's like, Oh, you could have done this 20 seconds quicker and let's do this. But he doesn't feel the fact that his shoulder isn't the same. Like he doesn't feel the fact yeah. that his shoulder is hurt. And it's that lack of sensitivity that I think many of us as fathers, we push past um, just trying to get the job done. And there's like a physicality element of the bottom line is you make it or you don't. Right. Um, and I think that part of the storyline was was beautiful. And I I haven't talked a lot about the second half of the film, but you know, I do think Luke's forgiveness of his father, like some of the things like that that kind of play out in the second half of the film. Are beautiful as well. It's just so jarring because I felt like I was transported into another film. Um, right. Yeah. Like I felt like it was I was transported into an entirely different narrative. So I think those fatherhood elements being brought out uh, were important, um, and also I think that's when the film was at its best.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on to so you, like in particular, kind of like what was your favorite part of the storyline for this one?
1: That forgiveness is a road with Bobby and detours all around it. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness does not happen overnight. Um, Sometimes, you know, if somebody forgive you, you don't forgive yourself. And I don't think, um I forgot his dad's name already. Jeez. Ronald. Uh, yeah. Ronald. I don't think Ronald forgave himself. Mm. I don't think he did. And I think that, that we go back to that line. I think it wasn't meant for Emily. It was for him to feel better, but I think he still didn't save his son. And then he he tried to save his son too late because Tyler said something about the mirroring of himself and then the, same, the different injuries, the different hiding things, and not being able to be vocal, vocal to your father, vocal to your son. And I think it was to a point where he tried to save his son too late or the the ways he tried to save his son. So you said we're not afford to be average. Right. So now you have to be perfect son. That's the way I'm going to give you the token. You have to be perfect in this life and then when I see you going down the wrong world, well maybe I I can save you this way. You can't save everybody and being a father is extremely hard. So it's just like I love how they depicted that um that angle of it, but I still don't have a message.
2: Yeah. Now that Tyler, Tyler got into in my yeah. head now, man. I
0: just got a program. A program.
2: <laughs> I'm just trying to... Uh, y'all help me. Help me understand. That's I just what I'm it. trying to figure out. What's right. the, message? the message? What are y'all getting at? Is, is it just, okay, this family's complicated? Okay, that's great. Well, we know that this family is dysfunctional. We know every family is dysfunctional. But right. I, I do love and appreciate what you just said about forgiveness. If there is a theme of the film... I think that's the closest theme that I can detect forgiveness, grace, redemption, that it comes in different ways and that it comes, it's a messy process and it's, it's not just one simple choice, um, as is often talked about. So I think that's the closest one, but I just don't think the film stays true to it. Like, right. I, just, I feel Even like the end. film is very selective about who it gives redemption yeah. to and yeah. who it allows the possibility yeah. to have redemption for. So that made me feel a type of way. So that right. makes me say, okay, well, is this just you just want to be provocative, or is this man? I really was, feel like you know that redemption exists for at least there's an avenue and a pathway for all of these characters.
0: Right. Yeah, and it seemed it, it seemed like some parts, like there was like a lot of style and no substance with just kind of maybe some of the imagery that was put in place of just like what is the clear message? Like even the end where. Emily's, you know, riding the bike, and and that's just the end of the movie. Like, there's no like the family doesn't get together one last time, or even kind of like re- remembers what happened, and kind of like uh, can can commemorate. Seemed as though it, it like like you said, Tyler. There seemed like there was kind of like some missing elements that, that they 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 kind of could uh, string together.
1: If that was supposed to be like a new beginning type of bike yeah. ride, that was trash.
2: <laughs> it was the
1: worst new beginning. <laughs> variety into the sunset well, I've ever seen. About I think it's
2: clear that the that the director deals in mirrors, right? I think that's mm-hmm. clear because you had the bike ride at the beginning and then the bike ride yeah. juxtaposed. But you know, you have the different portrayals of fathers and sons. You have you know the father seeing himself in the son. Like you could you can clearly see that the director enjoys parallelism, and mm-hmm. I don't think that's a bad thing. But I think it's just left wanting when it feels like one story. Ends in 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 utter despair and destruction. And another story, you know, ends in selective redemption. Um, and that's you know part of it is that's how life works. But if you're right. telling a narrative, I'm also very careful about the message I'm trying to portray and the right. message that I'm trying to send to people because uh, I think it can be misleading and they, it can end you with a, it can leave you with the empty feeling in the end because you're trying to figure out what did this actually mean? Like why did I go through especially this film? When when I have an emotional film, you know, I think some of you guys um have probably seen a film like Moonlight, right? Yes, it's an emotional yeah. film and at the end of Moonlight, I feel like at least there was at least some peace at the end, some rest. Like, okay, all right, so it doesn't end the way that you know maybe all the characters wanted to, or in the way that you would expect. But it's like, okay, whew. yeah, all right, some sort of resolution, cool. But this at the end it made, it left me feeling empty, and left me feeling kind of, why did I go through all that? You know, why did right. I go the ups and downs? The right. For you to tell me this brother's still gonna be, he ain't got no chance <laughs> to get out. And maybe I fell <laughs> away because his name is Tyler. <laughs> no, I'm like, man, give me a, a like, chance at redemption. Give me <laughs> a chance I I to come back. <laughs> and
1: yeah. then, especially when Trey Schultz, the director, has the fan black family dynamic in his hands, and you have an opportunity to create a new narrative of the black family yes. dynamics, and you just you folly you do whatever everything Hollywood does.
2: Well, and, and I think Hollywood. that's a good, that's a really interesting point. Like, I think for those of us who understand the importance of Black representation in all spheres of of life and in not just our entertainment, but also our occupations as well in, you know, spiritual authority, whether you are talking about a church context, like everything, uh, governmental positions. It's just important because this is another example of, hey, we're not saying that the director did a bad job on the film. We're just simply saying Mm -hmm. he's not thinking about the things we would think about. Like, he doesn't right. see what we would see. And it, again, it's not to say that there wasn't a Black writer in the room, that's not what I'm saying, but as a director, the way in which it's portrayed and the way in which it's being done, I'm saying, oh, man, it would be great <laughs> if, if this were in the hands of a Ryan Coogler, if this were in the hands of a Barry yes. Jenkins. How would Barry Jenkins have not just shot this film as great as it is, and Barry Jenkins really? deals in parallelism too, not just as great as this film is shot but then also handling with care the Black narrative uh, that is inevitably right. going to per- be portrayed um,
0: in any of, any of
2: the films like this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and, and now, transitioning to our last topic from 10, 10 years from now, do you still think this will be watchful and, and intriguing? There's so many excellent performances. You know, it's, it's a compassionate meditation on love, family, and loss, and, and I still feel as though that will be an intriguing element for some, um, to to kind of you know to kind of grapple with, and the first half and the second half, even for me, when when it switched to the second half, it did seem like a, a jarring, like quick type of turn of pace. Um, but to you, Tyler, like ten years from now, do you still think this will will continue to be a watchable and intriguing film? Hmm. <laughs> I, he had a pause. <laughs> I think
2: it will simply because you have four powerhouse actors. Um, yeah. portraying this Black family, the Williams family. And I think because of that, Kelvin and, you know, uh, Lauren and, or excuse me, Taylor. Kelvin and Taylor, I feel like they're this is going to be something people reference because their careers are going to continue to skyrocket. And people are going to yeah. reference this moment like, man, these this is where they started. This is where they got their opportunity. But man, there is another film, actually. Um, and I don't want to, You know, draw us away from that. But there's another film called Loose that Hmm. is. I think it's on Hulu if I'm not mistaken. But it's a film called Loose that Kelvin Harrison he plays another character that I'm not gonna say is the same, but like I'm like, brother, you gotta stop picking these films. (laughs) (laughs) Go watch Loose and don't tell me like, yo, text me after you watch Loose. And tell me if yeah. you don't see what I'm saying. Like, brother, uh-uh, you, you can do too much. You need to do a superhero <laughs> film or something. <laughs> 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 nah, I need you to do it. And then in, in the trial of the Chicago 7, he's Fred Hampton, and he's in Godfather of Harlem or something. I'm like, look, bro, listen, listen, listen. Come here real quick. I need you to do something lighthearted. Like, I need you to do something. One-dimensional long. roles. <laughs> and it's not, it's not even one-dimensional. It's just everything's so serious and psychological. I'm like, Luce is so psychological. And you're gonna be sitting there like, no, I know this ain't about to, I know this ain't about to go the way I think this is about to And it's like, okay. <laughs> um, so I feel like he's a talented actor, but I would also love for him to do like, man, just fun stuff, like really great movies that are, you know, lighthearted, and maybe I'm missing some, but super lighthearted films that can eventually like. Going to really get his talent out there, not just these deep psychological thrillers, uh, which I think right. know, wave are kind of in that bag. So I think it's going to be referenced because those actors are just going to continuously, you know, be in the ecosphere and um, in the cultural zeitgeist.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Savan, to close it out to you, kind of like, what are your thoughts on you know how this can, can Sylvia a, watch one intriguing film a, a decade from now?
1: Because Tyler was a rationaler he wasn't. A, he wasn't a basketball player. Mm. He wasn't a football player. Baseball player. He was a wrestler. Mm. What? I've never seen a black wrestler consistently in the south. What? Where was this? This was in Florida, right? I feel like this was set in Miami. Is that correct? Miami. Yeah. It was yeah. Miami. There's no way if you're going to be stereoty- <laughs> you're stereotype. Yeah. he has to play football. He has to have dreads. He had blonde hair. Like ramen noodles, it was just like not good at all. But no, I was just but no, not. He was you know, going think... through that journey,
2: man. He was going through
1: that yeah. journey. Yeah, he went from, uh, <laughs> from Malcolm X
2: to Cisco. <laughs> right? Yeah. He, to, he was looking just like Cisco. Yo, he could be great. With look, if you want to portray Cisco in a bio in a biopic, whoa. Oh, we might have just come. Ahead, we probably. might have just come through something. <laughs> <not a> <laughs> we might need to, his, uh, his might need to this. We yeah. might need to write this. I'm telling you. Look. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh no! But seriously, I do think it's watchable for the next ten years because I feel like you get. You get two sides of the coin, you get two movies in one. I don't know if that's always a good thing, but you get a bang for your buck. I think if you if this was in like you went to the movies, she was like, Okay, we're gonna spend the next two hours here. Oh, we get the black side and the white side. Okay, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, too funny, yeah, bro. Too funny. Yes, yes, we get it. Okay, though. No. But no, I think it's the, I think the how he shot it. Even me with my nitpick, and I think it was really dope. And like Tyler said, when he shot, I think it was A24. Yeah, uh, A24. A24. Cameras are amazing. Ooh, it makes everything look very cinematic. It better, all the million dollars of equipment production. <laughs> Seriously. Um, but yeah, that alone, the scenery, how they portrayed the scenery and did all that stuff. Yeah, 10 years from now, should be
0: watchable. Definitely. Well, Tyler, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on for the first time. You've always been a great influence for me as well, even starting up this podcast, but uh, thanks for being
2: on, man. Man, it's, it's cool, man. Anytime you want to have me back, I enjoy y'all's insights. I think they're um, you guys are doing incredible work, man, and I just can't wait to see. I can't wait to say I remember y'all when. I remember when y'all was recording <laughs> on Friday nights. Like, I remember <laughs> it when before y'all get to the big studios, man, so I appreciate y'all for having me on.
0: Yeah man, absolutely. Well that wraps it up for tonight. I'm your host, Wayne De Burns, with my current parse Von Moores. This has been Full Scope. See you later.